Gridlions is a proud sponsor of Public Power Underground, a subsidiary of NextAir Energy and the leading transmission company in North America. Gridlions is a transmission-only utility company that's more than just wires. With operations in three regional transmission organizations, Gridlions works with electric cooperatives and municipal utilities to create collaborative solutions that integrate renewable energy and improve the reliability and resiliency of the electric grid. Learn more at gridlions.com. That's G-R-I-D-L-I-A-N-C-E dot com. We started in hard times to bring us all in Into the laughter through thick and through thin For public power enthusiasts without and within Roll on enthusiasts, roll on Welcome to Public Power Underground, recorded in person at the Bonneville Power Administration's Rates Hearing Room after a Markets Plus Leadership Forum hosted by Tacoma Power, Bonneville Power Administration, and NV Energy. I'm Paul Dockery, the creative director and host of Public Power Underground and senior manager of energy resource strategy and planning for Seattle City Light. Joining me are three participants in the leadership forum to talk about our shared interest in market expansion and opportunities along the way. First up is Pam Sporborg, the director of transmission and market services at Portland General Electric. Welcome, Pam. Thank you, Paul. It's really nice to be here. Uh, someone who actually listens to Public Power Underground and I get to be on it. I'm very happy to have you. I'm an avid listener. Good. Uh, joining Pam and I is Spencer Gray, the executive director of the Northwest and Inner Mountain Power Producers Coalition. Did I get it right? Better known as Nipsey. That's yes. Right. Nailed it. Welcome, Spencer. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Good to, good to have you. Good to be part of this conversation with independent power producers. It's going to be uh, at a very important perspective. Great to be here. We're also joined by Joe Taylor, the Senior Director of Western Markets for Excel Energy. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Uh, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. I actually downloaded a few and listened to them on the, on the, on the plane. Because uh, you just learned about us. Right, because, because I, I just learned about us because of your very, very recent invitation. So yes, glad to be here. Thank you for saying oh. yes. There was a little bit of pressuring to get to yes. And, you know, we got to yes. And you aren't going to regret it. Trust us, right? Well, I, He's that, not going to regret it. That's what I understand. You're yeah, I was talking with my, uh, with my, I have a very intelligent stepdaughter who's finishing her second year of college at Loyola. And um, she was telling me that she wrote a paper that she thought was horrible in her psychology class. And the professor was so enamored with it, she asked her to present it to a group of grad students. And so I said, you know, Kendall, it's good to get out of your comfort zone. And, and this is a good example. And so I texted her yesterday about this and I was like, I'm getting out of my comfort zone. Oh, but it's going to be she so was, comfortable. She was proud of me. Yeah, good. I'm yeah. glad you're here. I'm yeah. glad you said yes. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Um, so I'm going to frame this up and then we'll dig into it. So the Markets Plus Leadership Forum hosted regulators, key stakeholders, and leaders from the energy industry to discuss a vision for markets, to talk about market governance, and the Markets Plus approach to market policy and design. Our goal and what we're trying to do here is to debrief from that conversation um, uh, synthesize, distill, and reflect on the key issues facing market expansion in the West and try to reflect what we heard today. And to make it all infotaining and not just a bunch of dry talking points. And I trust all of you to keep off the dry talking points, okay? Is that a fair? Are you ready for some infotaining? Fair request, yeah. Okay, it's a fair request. So it just so happens 
that the NBA's Western Conference Finals or Western Conference, yeah, Western Conference Finals, yeah, Western Conference Championship is probably the right way to say that. I think looking, we're at the semis still. We're still at the semis, but it's guaranteed that the conference championship will face uh, have a team from California facing a team from the non-Kaiso West. So the Denver Nuggets just won their semifinal series. And that team, the Denver Nuggets, will face either the Golden State Warriors or the Lakers. So we're going to attempt playoff analogies for all our topics. They're probably going to fall flat on their face, but it'll be fine. Um, we're going to try to talk about four topics, four, four like issues or, um, or areas of conversation. First, the benefits, opportunities, and barriers to market evolution. Second, long-run resource portfolios adapted to market design. Try to make that wonky because that's fun. Third, uh, reasons for skepticism still on market evolution in the West. And lastly, seams. Um, so uh, the first topic are the benefits, opportunities, and barriers of market evolution. Public Power Underground has done a couple of episodes of sports analogies and how they relate to market evolution. Um, in an episode with Carrie Simpson, the current director of Western Markets for SPP at the time uh, at XL Energy, uh, I don't know what her title was at that time. It was virtually the same. I actually have the job she vacated when she went to SPP. Okay. Well, there you go. When she came on and she was in your role, she made the sports analogy uh, about how transitioning from a bilateral market to a centrally dispatched market is like basketball uh, teams going from pickup games to pros. Like that's like the, the transformational change when you, when you change these markets. So I'm going to start with you, Pam, and go around the table. What are the benefits, opportunities, and barriers to going pro? And by going pro, I mean joining a regional market. So thank you, Paul. Um, so I want to stretch this metaphor, maybe challenge please, it quite a bit. Please and last it, night I sat it. down with my husband and came up with a whole page of basketball metaphors to maybe weave into our okay. conversation today. Your okay. metaphors are bulleted. Is that on they purpose? They are bulleted. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, we have to cross out a couple like lights out works for basketball does not work for the utility industry. Also here in the West, he's on fire. Mm, doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good. Yeah, so aside from those two, I have right. a full page. Right. Heat check. Heat check. That we works. can do that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we got check. a heat check. We, we're all heat checking in on our summer plans oh, right yes, now. Oh, yes, we are. That's good. <laughs> so, so Carrie said, you know, we're going pro right now. But pro. I would posit that we're a little bit like college basketball here in the West. Okay. We're, you know, a little bit of hot shots maybe a Cinderella every now and then we like to play March madness where we, some sometimes we get a little hot. Sometimes we get a double, double, which might be arbitraging power X with BPA. Oh. I'd call that a double, double. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Let's, let's keep going. But I'd also say that like getting to the Western EIM really is that first step in going pro that we're right now we're effectively passing on energy and capacity or energy savings around the region. We're able to provide zone defense to enhance reliability. We're scoring points in the paint by accruing uh, benefits to our customers in the millions of dollars. But what our, the RTO is like is going to the dream team. Where oh. We're really able to take Going to the, the Olympics best with players, the, yes. put them onto one team, go for the gold. Yes. And what I mean by that 
is where we can select the most efficient big man to really get us, you know, that baseload generation. And maybe we've got some hotshot, you know, flexible generation, some hydro, some gas, some renewables coming in to, you know, shoot the deep threes on the outside, on the perimeter. Uh, we've got some really great point guards who come and provide the regulation service, some, some specific power players who can uh, really get in there and, and get specific skills onto the court. Good six-man kind of thing. Yeah, role exactly. player. Exactly, role players. Yeah, some role really player. good role players. And yep. we're able to choose the best of those role players from around the region because an RTO really provides us with that optimization of all the types of services, not just energy and flexibility, but the ancillary services, we can optimize capacity, and we can really move the region's green energy around from where it's being generated through the transmission system. I don't quite have a metaphor there, <laughs> but we can use the transmission system, maybe the, the infrastructure, the, the, the coaches, and get it to where the load centers are. And so I think we are going pro right now. We've leveled up from college basketball to the pros, but our next step really is getting to the dream team. Okay, so your hypothesis is like the EIM got us to like a farm team in the pros or something. Yeah. Like we're, we're, and one of the things she pointed out, like, and one of the reasons she, this analogy kind of worked is you get a lot more transparency around your pricing. You get more transparency around how resources interact and, and understand how your flows of power is in a market. And we're getting some of that with the EIM. Um, it does beg the question of like, what's your farm league? What are, how, what, what's your, uh, uh, how are your res new resources coming in? Like where are you recruiting from? We got, we got Nipsey here to talk a little bit about that. Um, any, anything about today that spoke to, uh, cause some of what you spoke to is like this diversity benefit of your, your getting more, the best players from, and using their attributes, using the role player skills. Is there anything from like the independent power producers perspective that a RTO has provides an opportunity for? I always try to start conversations like this with a compliment for an IOU. So I, the most go. entertaining thing I've seen today so far is Pam's incredible versatility with, with basketball metaphors. It's good. It's almost like the, I, I forget the name of the guy who does the Dr. Seuss hip hop on, he's got a YouTube channel. I don't Fox know on socks. This. Oh, greatest, oh, greatest YouTube clip of the last, I don't know, several years. Okay. Uh, yeah, look it up. He wraps Fox on socks and kills it. And some other Dr. Seuss too. You're right there. Uh, I'll take the compliment. Yeah. But I will object to the idea that, that we're just mired here in college basketball. Ooh. I tend to think we're more like, uh, like the NBA 30 years ago. We've got a post player. It's a slower game. There's a couple teams that run a triangle you know, offense and they're quite good. Uh, but this was exactly my point when Kerry did this. This was my opening pitch. It's like it's comparing players across genres when you compare a bilateral to an organized market. Keep going. No, this is yeah. No, it's it's um, it's not fair to the Bill Russells of the world to, yeah. to make that comparison quite. So the number of possessions is up now. The um, the spacing is different now. The three point shot has changed the game. So I think the move to organized markets for the West is more like the shift, maybe the Phoenix Sun started it 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and the Warriors, who happen to be my favorite team, uh, really encapsulate that approach now. So it's more spacing, it's faster paced, um, it's more complex offenses, it's driving to the basket and kicking out, 
and I think that that speed and complexity of the game now is more reflective of, of where we're headed. Okay, so in the room today, and I'll just pivot to you, Joe, and we can we can turn away from the sports analogy if you're ready, or if you want to talk about golf, that's fine. Um, but like part of what we're hearing, right, is the game has changed; it got faster. Um, we do need this diversity of resources uh, to achieve our goals, and a diverse footprint helps us do that. I think we heard that today. Anything else um, that you heard today that talks to like the benefits of this? the barriers that we still have to overcome and, and the opportunities left uh, available to us? On the, I, I think on the benefit side to get, you know, really to the, to the dream team is the, you know, the footprint's got to be as big as it can be. And then you have to solve hurdles that we have. Um, I know it's not a basketball term, but um, we have a lot of geology between us and the rest of the West. Uh, it's a good it's way of difficult it. to, to build through. Um, uh, to truly be able to take advantage of, you know, the East-West and even the North-South diversity. Um, so that's going to be a challenge for, for folks on my side of the, uh, of the interconnection. Um, so, that, yeah, I think that's, that's the primary thing I think of when I think of this. What, um, so that is one of the kind of questions that you talk about a footprint in the West that would include the Mountain West with the Pacific Northwest or the Southwest, they have to think a lot about what that transmission interconnection connectivity is. Um, anything anybody heard today about that transmission being a, a, a barrier to this footprint or any hope around solving those type of barriers that you heard today or want to reflect on? What I, what I hear, and I've heard it uh, for the past uh, few months, including in some studies that I, my company's engaged in, is... Um, Northwest to Southwest. That, okay. Um, the diversity benefits of being able to um, trade more Northwest to Southwest and Southwest to Northwest because of, um, you know, the different peaking seasons and this and the, and the, and the solar in the, in the Southwest and the, and the hydro in the Northwest um, is, is really, I think going to be the focus, uh, especially if the Northwest and the Southwest end up being in the same market. Um, that that transmission development, I think, will really um, kick off because, um, you know, we, we, we form that team, right, to, to, to do it together. Yeah. And uh, I'd, I'd love to hear more uh, if you have more thoughts, Pam or, or uh, Spencer, about um, the, the benefits for the future pipeline. Like, I want to come back a little bit to that pipeline of um, if you have the dream team, uh, they do get older, those players get older and you, and even if they aren't older, I think specifically for our energy transition, we're going to need more players and talking a little bit about that, given a bigger footprint and that, that opportunity, maybe, you know, maybe I'll touch on a little bit of what Chris Robinson was talking about with just the massive undertaking that this is really the biggest transformation since we first electrified yeah. the, the grid or first created the grid. And that as we're really looking to decarbonize and add additional energy sources like heating and transportation to uh, our portfolios so that we can have a decarbonized economy, that the widest area is really critical for being able to achieve those goals. Um, having the most diversity possible, desert southwest solar, Pacific Northwest Hydro, uh, Wyoming Wind, Montana Wind, 
uh, our IRP is looking at all of these diverse resources as really the, the crucial ba- building blocks to getting us to our 80% decarbonization target by 2030. Um, and we need even more as we get to 100% by 2040. Having a grid that's bigger than the weather, is that how I've heard that phrase before? Um, making sure that you have uh, a big enough footprint that that single storm and maybe you can anymore because some of these weather patterns seem to cross the whole country. Um, Spencer, any any thoughts on pipeline, well, I, I the pipeline, know. the talent I'll pipeline just, to the pros? I'll go back to the dream team because I, I'm i nervous about the Warrior-Laker game tonight, yeah, which no. may have happened uh, before this podcast comes out, by the time it comes out. Um, so I, I get such joy of, out of watching Steph Curry dominate a game that the idea of him aging out of the NBA is hard to take. Yeah. But to be realistic, uh, I don't feel like we as market participants and stakeholders and regulators um, have a common understanding yet of where the real pinch points are for transmission to make the market footprints work. I think intuitively we understand it. Perhaps the utilities have a better understanding and Bonneville as transmission owners. Um, But we sort of, we talk a little bit around that issue, the north-south connectivity. There's only a couple entities who are in that location, east-west, at least on the northern tier of the interconnection. Same thing, only a couple entities there. Um, NIPSI certainly has some merchant transmission developers. Maybe that's ultimately a solution for some of this. But the, the power flows really matter. The amount of load in the market footprint matters. Um, and I, I hope we can have more kind of common data and understanding of, of who is in those swing positions as transmission owners okay. to help determine the footprint. Um, not, not assuming that's fixed, though, as we've talked about, but it, it just takes so long to build transmission that that's not a um, – there's no, like, elasticity of transmission we can count on here to get built um, uh, to go outside of a basketball metaphor. Is that a basketball metaphor? Elasticity of transmission. I'll give it to you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think uh, we at least framed up a lot of the topics that got talked about today. I'll, I'll go to the next one, and it and probably is a little too wonky, and we can make it less wonky with great metaphors that Pam will bring to us. Um, I want to talk about like the evolution of the grid and the ways market rules can change the portfolio of resources, um, whether power resources or transmission assets, you could reasonably expect to be developed in light of them. So I recently had uh, Dr. Conley Byers on uh, the podcast, and I, I was reflecting on that conversation since then. And she, she had this concept, and she noted that resources end up getting signaled to enter or exit the market dependent on market design choices. Um, and and it, it's like into my head from her saying it, this, this long run resource mix adapted to market design. So to compare it to sports, like you were talking, Spencer, about how basketball has evolved over the year with over the years with new offenses, new defenses. And you get like Steph Curry wouldn't have been a player that got into the pros um, in a prior era. You're getting these new players who have uh, have formed their skill and and add to the value of basketball because of the way the game has evolved. And we're, they've, they've evolved the rules of the game to make sure that 
the game has stayed enjoyable to fans, just like the grid needs to evolve to stay beneficial for its customers, okay? So I'll start with you, Spencer. You, you, you got the Steph Curry analogy here. Um, is basketball getting more entertaining for fans? Are, we, are they successful in evolving those rules? And by that, I mean, are centrally dispatched markets going to change resource portfolios in the long run once uh, resource portfolios have adapted to market rules? <laughs> and by that, I mean, uh, I, I think basketball has become more entertaining. I, I enjoy less where the game is um, dominated by someone who's just huge and can plow over competitors. It looks, you know, maybe it looks more like football. Steph Curry is about my height. He looks like a dwarf on the on the court, and he, he gives everybody a dream that maybe they could make the pros. So maybe that's a part of it. It is. That is a part of it. For, for the markets themselves, um, I, I take that point. I think it's a good point that the market design helps determine which resources are um, entered into the market or, or certainly deployed. Um, I think some of that discussion in organized markets has centered recently around how capacity market designs affect um, resource decisions most fundamentally um, for actually investing in a new resource and deciding it, it could earn a return in a market. And I think that is an approach that we, as a region, as an interconnection, are likely to avoid. And we, in a way, we kind of have the luxury of avoiding it because um, we don't have the lack of a procurement um, direction from the states that PJM New York and New England have had. Um, so what I think is, is kind of maybe a better or more precise way to describe how IPPs anticipate markets um, affecting resource selection the decision by a handful of, of Western states, maybe half of the 11 Western states, to have aggressive decarbonization goals is going to be the most determining factor. But the, the markets can, and, and the fact that most of those states have a lot of load too. Yeah. Um, and so what I would expect is the market design affects more how transparent and strong the price signals are for transmission congestion and um, where building new generation generation resources makes makes the most sense. So it sort of shuffles those investments around to the most optimal places would be the would be the economic theory, um, more than kind of predetermining the um, the type of generation that you're building. Yeah, uh, I really want to get into that, but I probably shouldn't go any deeper. But I I, I do think the insight that the locational aspects of where to put generation is one of the areas that, um, that market design will really impact. And it's something we should pay attention to. I also like if, if we're planning for the 30 years from now, thinking about long-term also having that regional transmission organization to help establish the transmission infrastructure and how those resources get to put also very important. I'll, I'll turn to, uh, you, Pam, if you want to add any thoughts around like the importance of market design to to make sure it's sending the right signals. So I think I really agree with Spencer that I think public policy is building a full court press Ooh. on renewables that is boxing out some of our traditional generation. Oh, this is good. Are you here, are you here every Friday night? <laughs> <laughs> but that we... But what market design really can do is set up a pick and roll offense so that these two types of generators can work together okay. and that we can ensure the right price signals to our more traditional generation 
while allowing the nimbleness and the variability of the newer generation to um, serve load as it's when it's available. And so I really do think that we need the, the market design approaches that value the kinds of things that our traditional generators provide while also allowing the new resources to come online to meet our public policy objectives. No, I, uh, preparation. I can tell preparation. That's, uh, oh, it's my beautiful. list. It's a great list. I owe my husband I'd say, I'd say Pam's like the Miami Heat of this table. How's that? <laughs> well, I, we'll take it. It's like yeah. a skilled, check, skilled. Yeah. See, all of your actual references go right over my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll pivot to you, Joe. One of the things we heard today was, um, what, what was one? Somebody said, like, anybody can design a market. Um, uh, it's like, uh, and, and I think Russ said it in his panel, he said it elsewhere, uh, Russ Manifel from Bonneville that, um, a lot of market design is pretty standard. And one of the like questions I'll just throw out there is like, do we expect any like fundamental differences in what you would expect a long run portfolio mix from uh, market design related to SPP's markets plus to be different from uh, the Kaiso EDAM market design. Is there, is there an expectation that you would end up with if you were following the uh, academic researchers model of ener energy markets and how they can impact resource exit and exit entrance and exit decisions? Is there anything different there that you think we would expect different outcomes from those two market designs? Well, I'm hoping as, uh, and it, it's a group I'm working on uh, for Marcus Plus, the transmission working group, that we can um, come up with a design that um, really frees up the transmission system okay. uh, so that we're not, um, we don't have our hands tied by uh, contract path world when, uh, and, and not being able to fully utilize transmission when it's not even flowing because of scheduling limits and things okay. like that. And, and to price that out uh, to where the market, it, it doesn't impact um, generators uh, offers or, or, or loads bids, right? It's just it's simply an, uh, an uplift charge that's very manageable and hopefully very inexpensive. Okay. Um, I think that's the uh, primary thing. The item I don't have any experience with, but seems extremely complicated is uh, the GHG stuff. With, uh, with Washington having its its own set of rules um, and and really the rest of the West engaged in Markets Plus really doesn't have those rules. But um, I think the Washington um, paradigm is gonna, going to kind of control that whole conversation around GHG. Can we, can we, if it's fair, talk a little bit about the greenhouse gas and those rules? Because I do think that's one of the elements. It's because anytime you have a grid that spans large enough to be bigger than the weather, it will include more than one jurisdiction and governance, right? It's going to include more than one state. And anytime you have more than one state, you're probably going to have different policy goals and implementation of policies that get passed through the governance structure of that state. Uh, can we talk a little bit before we get to seams um, about how those market rules um, will end up playing together? Um, is there, y'all, do we have hope? that there are, is a way to have a Western market that can reflect the priorities of the individual states, but still get us to like a reasonably dispatch solution for a security constrained unit commitment. I'm looking at you, Pam, give me some hope. So I think one of the challenges that 
we all recognize is that markets are one of the best tools we have to decarbonize. However, each state has jurisdiction over decarbonization within their state boundaries and resource, the resource mix for their own state. And as we see different approaches to these greenhouse gas compliance programs or um, cap and trade programs, that those state rules create friction within the market that create more challenges for the market to do what it does best if given the right economic price signal to drive a decarbonized outcome. So I think we have a lot of work to do to get some alignment around what we want from our market and whether we really want the market to be a tool to drive decarbonization or whether we want the market to be a tool to implement a state policy. And I think we have to find a way to harmonize to get to the, the right outcome there. Well said. Anything you want to add, Spencer? It just seems to me that you, the nature of the physical flows on any grid mean that any greenhouse gas accounting system, if there is any discrepancy in the jurisdiction of the, the grid itself and the policy requirements to decarbonize, you're just having to pick an approximation of what's actually physically occurring. And the degree of your acceptance and tolerance of that approximation is, is a policy decision. Your state laws may preclude you from making some of those decisions, but it's always going to be a proxy. And um, that's just something we have to get comfortable with um, to keep those, those overlays together. Talking about overlays is a great pivot to seams, but did you want to get on on that before we pivot to seams, Joe, or are you ready? No, no, I'm, 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 I'm good. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> use the great pivot because the understanding transmission connectivity is an important part of your seams issues. So, um, I, and I actually skipped a middle topic that we'll come back to at the end, but that was too good of a pivot, uh, to, 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 to miss it. So um, the NBA finals is a competition between uh, the Eastern Conference champion and the Western Conference champion. Not all brackets sort that way. There are other ways to set up a bracket. You can just rank them from best to worst like uh, they do it in the uh, college uh, March Madness. Um, there's this proposal for the NBA finals where the best team can pick their first round opponent. Have you heard this yet, Spencer? Oh, it's like, it's a, Zach Lowe does it on his podcast, The Low Post, talks about it every once in a while. It's a great thing. That's all to say that the Eastern and Western division of the NBA is a seam. And, and it's, a, it's a choice that you get to make, and it has ends up with some inefficiencies. And you can say sometimes the finals doesn't have the two best teams. Um, so I think I want to come to you, Spencer, um, and talk about whether uh, – you like brackets that pit just uh, that rank the best team to the worst team in the bracket, or if you want to do uh, something more like the the Eastern and West Conference. And by that, I mean what complications do seams play in West, uh, Western market development? <laughs> uh, so first of all, you should try to get Zach Lowe in some way on this podcast because that would be a a fun interview. It would be awesome interview. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm really flattered that you think I can pull that off, Spencer. I'm just super flattered. I'll, I'll, I'll back you up. There back you up if it helps. Uh, and I'm also thinking through the complication of the analogy 
with it's very complicated modern analogy. free agency. And so yes, if we can I think almost for, did the free agency if one. If we can think for a minute about what a, an NBA free agent represents now, maybe it is a very talented IPP hmm? oh. who shows up in your market and has a bunch of great development plans and kind of kills it, finds the best places to build things, knows how to market um, better than anybody else, and changes the the um, market in that in that respect and making it more optimal. Um, you could also think of a free agent maybe as uh, one of the large transmission owners uh, who are load-serving entities, I guess with the exception of the PMAs, um, who are operating at the wholesale level, who change the competitive nature of your market footprint by choosing to go one way or another. Okay. And so yep. that's probably operating a little more in the, I guess it works for a seam for Marcus Plus versus EDAM. Having um, Pacific Corp or NV Energy or Idaho Power, really important transmission connectors in the interconnection, elect to go to one team or the other. Yeah. Is, you know, the difference between LeBron going to the Lakers or staying with the Cavaliers or going to the Warriors. Um, and that's a, that's a really fundamental part of the competitive landscape. I think that's, um, you know, Did not you say fun part of the competitive landscape. F- fundamental. Fundamental. Um, okay. Uh, maybe there's some fun in there too, but that, that is, I guess what, what the folks I represent who primarily own generation and sell it um, on a competitive basis have to watch what, what counterparties are going where, um, both for the transmission service that they need as transmission customers, but also as as buyers of what they're selling. Um, and so the seam matters operationally, of course. Um, selling from within one BA to another BA who's in a different market, we are trying to get our heads, heads around how that would work mechanically. Um, but uh, sort of a, apart from that, needing to to keep active in both market conversations as we watch our counterparties who are vertically integrated um, in the other parts of their business is is a big part of our task. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and and I I don't know that it fits with either analogy, whether it's the Eastern Western Conference or, or the players moving, but the transmission implications of those seams. And if you have one uh, major transmission owner committed to a market, um, the the complications of how to manage congestion. One, one of the questions I'll ask you, Joe, uh, you're you're on the transmission work group, right? Which yes. which worker? Yeah, it's yes, transmission worker, yeah. chair of the trans markets plus transmission chair. worker. Yes, there indeed. we go. Um, one of the questions I had was around congestion management within the market and whether when you have a seam like a Pacific Core or, or uh, that may not be in, that is not in the markets plus footprint is going to be in the EDAM footprint, how that can change your uh, solution for congestion within the footprint. Oh, it absolutely will change the, um, the solution because uh, it, it, if the market solution is to generate East of Pacific Corp and deliver West of Pacific Corp, um, getting through Pacific Corp uh, and um, reaching a, an agreement with Pacific Corp that's different than, okay, go ahead and reserve transmission 40 minutes in advance for an hour and, and do the normal um, Oasis and tagging and all of that stuff. It'll, it will just keep that market solution from happening. Yeah. Um, And so that's what, uh, that's what I was talking about on the panel today is, um, you know, seams are 
it's not a peace treaty like I've heard said in a in a in a meeting last last month, but it's also I don't think it's the it's the thing that you put off until you know a year from now or two years from now. I think it's important the RTOs in the East have worked together for decades and written joint operating agreements, and they're constantly revising those and, and, you know, in some cases going in front of FERC. Um, it's a difficult situation. Nobody wants their transmission to get used without, uh, without getting compensated. And that's what, that's what the primary seems problem is going to be in the West with two markets that aren't completely, uh, you know, they've got some, some holes in the middle of them that uh, are in the other market or maybe not in any market whatsoever. So it, it's certainly not a, a, as perfect a solution as one, one geographic, we have one contiguous footprint. Yeah. Pam, did you want to get in on the seams issue or? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say that seams in the West today are a little bit of a jump ball and that with 38 balancing <laughs> authorities, so good. I, I, you made this point, you 38 balancing authorities. If we get down to two, we would move from 38 to maybe more one-on-one type play. Oh, okay. Nice. That's the end of my metaphors. <laughs> but I also think it's important to remember that seams agreements cover more than just economic transactions between markets. They cover loop flow management, uh, congestion management, they, the pricing of that congestion management and transmission usage across different markets. And so I think it's important to recognize, as you pointed out, that in the East, these negotiations have taken years, sometimes decades, to resolve. I remember sitting next to my poor colleague at FERC who had to work on Lake Erie loop flow that did not get resolved during his tenure at FERC, nor during my tenure at FERC. I believe it took a full 10 years to resolve Lake Erie loop flow through seams agreements between MISO, NISO, PJM, and ISO New England, as well as some Canadian entities. I think we've seen challenges with the SPP uh, MISO integrate or the Intergy integration into MISO that SPP referenced today, yeah. where that seems agreement, you know, the negotiations ended up going to FERC with several rounds of complaint, a court case, another round at FERC. So I think it's important that while, yes, the East has gotten to a point where these seams have been negotiated and agreed to and are functioning well in a way that enables uh, different ISOs to help each other out with reliability and economic transactions, that getting there is going to be a challenge for the West and that we have a significant road ahead of us before we get from 38 to two seams and then to get a functioning seams agreement between our two one-on-one players. Yeah, and just for context, it, those agreements, I think I heard it called a joint operating agreement mm-hmm. is what some of the entities in the Eastern Interconnect right. use yeah. to document those seams agreement. And they're more than economic is what I'm learning yeah. from you. It's a, a, lot, about a, a lot more than that. They're even developing into um, uh, agreements to manage um, interconnection queues for projects around oh. in between the two RTOs because the 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 power generated by a new generator, you know, 50 miles away for between two RTOs is going to flow between them. Um, okay. So, and and there's um, like MISO and SPP are, have this JTIQ joint transmission interconnection queue. I think it's called process. Um, and the goal is simply to find get a win. Um, let, let's find a, you know, let's find a couple of um, mid-priced solutions that solve a lot of problems 
right at the seam and, and related to the generator interconnection so that each of them can speed up their queues and get some, some solutions that, um, uh, that are acceptable to the other RTO on the other side of that seam. I hadn't even thought about all of this. Like, and I, you know, this is fun to, for me to think about. I love thinking about this. Stuff. I hadn't thought about the implications of your interconnection process on the, the seams, like, and the fact that uh, when you have two transmission owners and you're interconnecting, you can, your project can have impacts on that other. Tra- I hadn't even thought about that around the seams issues, but we deal with that 38 times today, right? And Correct. if you get to two, that'll be so much better. It There's is the hope. There's the opportunity, right? Is that right, Spencer? Yeah, There's hope and opportunity there. Well, it also kind of sharpens the um, possibility of the West having a greater focus on interregional um, transfer capacity in in the way that the RTOs and ISOs do now. We have, um, in, in our view, fairly weak transmission planning institutions, um, in large part by design in the West. And the the considerations for interregional planning for transmission, um, there aren't the right uh, institutions and, and compliance mechanisms in the West outside of the CAISO that are being heavily debated in front of FERC for for the other market operators in the East. But if you do end up with two and they have transmission functions, um, I think it would end up highlighting wherever that seam is, highlight that, that issue that's... Um, maybe not come to the fore as much in the West as, as it has in the rest of the country. But also, I was wondering, the, the Erie, Lake Erie loop flow, I think that is like a Toronto Raptors counter to a box-in-one defense. Yeah. It's old basketball lore. Sure. That sounds, that sounds about right. <laughs> that would be a great name for a defense for a professional basketball team. Uh, probably for the Cleveland Cavaliers. That makes yeah, sense. That would make sense. Lake Erie loop flow. And Lake Erie loop flow defense. Um, okay, so I think uh, we can we can pivot to so like outstanding reasons for skepticism about market evolution. So um, Zach Lowe, this podcast host, The Low Post, um, they, they talk a lot about in basketball that when you get to the playoffs in a seven-game series, when you have you know fairly evenly matched teams, you get to the point of the, season, the, the series where all the tricks are out of the bag. And it's about, you, every, you, you know what offense is going to work and what defense they're going to play. You know, it's kind of all out on the table and it's just about execution. Um, it seems like we're getting like, it seems like this market conversation is well scoped. I would say like feels like we've been talking about markets for a long time. We've gotten to the point where all of the, it's, it feels like all of the uh, hairs on the dog. I don't know what a great analogy is for this. Like the, uh, the warts are out. Like we know what the, uh, what markets are good for and, and not good for so I, I want to talk a little bit about like what the reason for skepticism is. And I'm going to start with you, Joe. So what makes you skeptical about the Denver Nuggets pulling off a championship this year? And by that, uh, what are the outstanding like areas of skepticism you have um, in market evolution in the West? Well, not being a, not being a big basketball uh, fan, but um, they've uh, the, the Nuggets came into the playoffs um, you know, very highly ranked, um, always the favorites. Um, much like I think uh, in this room today, SPP and Marcus Plus was uh, you know came to this room uh, 
as as the favorites, right? Ooh, hot um, take. Hot take. Um, I think uh, obstacles are are several. Some of the obstacles I hear about and deal with are loss of control. Uh, if uh, so, when we go into Marcus Plus, we're you know we're not going to the dream team, right? We're going into you know maybe a mid tier NBA team. Uh, the dream team is really where the transmission is also controlled. It's cost allocated. Um, uh, there are rules and uh, fantastic interregional uh, planning processes that identify what's what needs to get built and how it's going to get paid for. And so, how it's going to get paid for is is is, is huge um, from. You know, a utility perspective, obviously, you want to build and get paid for it, and you don't want to pay for what you didn't build. Um, so that uh, that paranoia is nationwide. I've heard that, you know, for, for the last 20 years, yeah. uh, is who's going to pay uh, for the transmission. What you hear from the from the states, what the, uh, the regulated utilities hear from the states is that they're going to lose control over uh, over resource planning and over transmission siting, which you look east and look at the RTOs that are in states that haven't, um, what's the, is, is using the term deregulated, which is not right. Yeah. It's, but, um, but that, uh, that allow um, retail competition. Restructured. Yeah. Re- restructured, yes. The states that have not re- re- restructured, um, there has been no, there's no impact to, the state's right to choose what resources it orders its um, its utilities to build or buy from uh, from from Spencer's folks, for example, uh, and the states still have the you know all the siding that is um, in their in their statutes for for transmission. The they where they lose the control is that um, the RTO is determining what needs to get built, um, and then and then going through the state. Uh, the utility of having a sponsor and go through the state when, when it didn't come th- directly from the utility's you know homegrown transmission planning process. Yeah. That's it. Right, I'm sure you got more. We'll come back to you when you okay. need more. We got, we got plenty. Yeah. Maybe not plenty of time, but plenty of space for you. Yeah, plenty of space. Pam, what 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 do you think are the like outstanding issues? What are the unknowns that still keep you up at night? There are plenty of unknowns that there keep are. me up at night, but I do agree. I think the the biggest challenge that could cause our progress towards an RTO to foul out would Ooh, be nice. Would be if you genuinely, if any one of the major transmission providers in the West chooses to not form a common transmission tariff. Yeah, I don't even know that we have to be in an RTO, but that common tariff especially as some of the largest transmission providers are also, you know, larger transmission system, more expensive, that you end up with the kind of pancake rate that would really prevent um, the economic benefits from the, the energy market dispatch to be realized because you're significantly increasing your transmission costs. So I think that, that the, the pump fake on regional market development. See, you weren't done. <laughs> might be, might be. Um, was a pump fake earlier. Yeah. Might be transmission. Although I do think we have other barriers around jurisdiction, getting governance right, 
assuring equity in governance. I think, um, you know, if we are progressing towards more of the, um, the, the voting structure that ensuring that um, a diverse group of utilities still have a voice when uh, we do have several very large players in the region that IPPs and our NGO communities have a voice in that process that is proportionate to their appropriate influence. I think these are the kinds of components where the the we, it's going to be very challenging to get right if we really are to move beyond the markets plus or the the day ahead time of time frame and get really into that full that full RTO. I mean, this is a this has been a great couple of years to contrast with um, market conversations maybe ten or fifteen years ago in in the West. There are many fewer. Uh, it's actually hard to find voices who are hard against regionalizing markets more. I guess where I have some skepticism is not that we're going to take another step as a region or parts of the region well into into day ahead markets as a natural evolution from the EIM, uh, but we're, we're backing our way into the suite of functions that market operators elsewhere perform that, at least for non-transmission owners, are really fundamental to the value proposition. Okay. Uh, Day-ahead market's great for consumers. It's going to optimize flows better. It will dispatch resources better. Um, it'll be a better system overall. But from the commercial model for IPPs and, and marketers, and, and I think this is true to some extent for some transmission-dependent utilities too, until you have an actual independent consolidated set of functions for transmission service, transmission planning, you're leaving so much on the table. And so I guess I worry that we may have too many incumbents who at the end of the day won't want to surrender control together over that suite of functions um, and, and part of what complicates that is everybody's kind of bringing their own refs to the table. Um, the, the referees that uh, the three of us operate under is quite different from public power's model of being more masters of their own fate. Um, we have both state regulators that, that the IOUs are more directly um, affected by than the non-regulated competitive participants. Um, and then we also have FERC. And so that... We've managed to avoid that becoming a, a killer issue over resource adequacy recently, and I think the the whole region sort of should um, should mull how we got to that point and avoided that becoming a, a governance issue that um, did away with resource adequacy. But but RA is the kind of thing where if you do mess it up, you you have blackouts and you have political fallout that's. Um, probably not present in driving us toward organizing the markets further. So on that point, that's the other risk I guess I see is a political risk that there is some extreme weather event. We are really short on capacity. A transmission line burns up. Burns up. Some key state or constituency gets really mad about um, yeah. the grid having been, having been messed up because we're still very much living with um, the series of events that happened around 2000. Um, the generation of elected officials who got mad about how the grid is being run, ran for office and are still in office uh, around the region in different positions, which is not to say anything about the policy views of electeds on elected officials on how we're running the grid. 
but we should just all take that political risk seriously in the West because it's, it's, I guess, burnt us before. Yeah, well, well said. And that political risk, I think the risk of extreme events is probably more acute uh, than it than it ever has been, especially in the in, here in the West. Um, I felt like we've run through a lot of topics. I wanted to close out with some like final thoughts and get to any other themes you heard today that we haven't covered yet. Um, so, uh, you know, basically, and we'll we'll start with you, Pam. Uh, who do you think is going to win? Who do you think is going to be in the Western Conference Finals? And who do you think is going to win the Western Conference Finals? And by that, I mean, uh, any takeaways from the day that you'd want to carry forward? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I, you know, I want Spencer to have a great afternoon. So I'm, you know, help hope the Warriors can pull, pull out a win. Yeah. Um, a little skeptical of the Warriors actually making it past the Lakers. I'm sorry, man. I mean, I do appreciate Steph Curry. I watched him in college at Davidson and admired oh. his tenacity. Um, and it's great to kind of see that kind of tenacity and scrappiness come through in the NBA in a successful way. Yeah. Um, and so I think maybe, I don't, I don't know that we, that there has to be a winner. No. I think we will have two markets in the West and I think that as Barbara pointed out, we all win with choice and that, that each utility, I mean, I think we're all uniquely situated. We all have unique transmission needs. We're all differently positioned in the grid. And that positioning means that the benefits for our customers are different depending on the different market footprints. And so I think as we start to see you know, some of these decisions may be happening at a buzzer beater, um, that, that those, the, those benefits will become more clear and that we can look to which footprint and which transmission connectivity is to which market is going to make sense for our customers. And I think, you know, for PGE, that benefit to customers is really that primary driver. Um, we would like to see, you know, the, the financial and reliability markets, the reliability that markets bring accrue to our customers. We'd like to see a market that can truly help us meet our decarbonization goals. Um, and that as we, you know, explore our options and evaluate the two market choices, those are going to be the principles that drive us. Well said. That well summarized of some of the topics and a lot of topics we heard about today. Uh, I'll pivot to you, Spencer, anything, uh, anything you wanted to bring out from the conversation today that we haven't gotten to yet? Synthesis or distillation. Boy, I'm nervous about, about saying something about the Warriors tonight. If, if listeners are listening to this later, I have to ride with them. Uh, <laughs> but maybe a bigger point is that, you know, over time dynasties in professional sports, are teams that have a lot of talent, are coached well, have a lot of role players who fill roles in excellent form in the playoffs. Um, there's a lot of factors and some luck that come together to create not just a, a champion in one given year, but but multiple times over time. And maybe that, I mean, maybe we're stretching this analogy to the breaking point, but... Um, That's fun. For, for the two markets that we seem to be headed toward... Um, that sort of success over time in competition with other teams where you sometimes lose in the short term and learn some lessons and, and adjust. Um, it just seems like a very much, uh, um, 
undecided issue still with some key players yet to, to show where their commercial interest lies um, and what their physical assets would contribute to a regional grid in a way that would be different from today. So um, I think for most of us, that means we lack the, the market heft to just make a decision and go with it. Um, there are a few players who have that ability in the interconnection, but it, it compels the rest of us to participate in a couple of different forums and side, side discussions like this to figure out where we're going. Side discussions like this that'll get that are getting recorded and will get published on a podcast app. Long lived side discussions. Long lived yeah. side discussions. Absolutely, um, Joe. I'll, I'll pivot to you. Uh, you kind of get the closing thoughts uh, about takeaways from today, or takeaways your message um, about why the Denver Nuggets are going to win the uh, not only the Western Conference uh, championship but also the finals. Well, I think not um, to oversell it. I just I, I thought it was fun. You're from uh, feeling, Colorado, and right, Denver's in the right, finals. Right, feeling good about feeling good about the Nuggets. Uh, they're you know they they struggled uh, halfway through this series, and uh, and then then came back. Um, uh, Stuart, I hope uh, I hope your Warriors are in. Um, I, I I I do uh, I do like them. I do like uh, especially Steph Curry, and I'll. I'll point out as a non-basketball analogy, because I'm a golfer, <laughs> Seth's an excellent golfer. Yes. And so, you know, when he's when he when he ages out and he's got to retire, he puts in a few years of practice and we might see him again. We might see him on TV anyway. So uh, he's an he's an excellent player. Um, Transferable skills, you know. Yes. Like. Um, you know, even if there are two markets uh, in the West, um, a market engine running and the market operator having a having a, a scale view over his uh, system increases the visibility. It it it, it from a real time basis um, having one entity looking out over these multiple systems um, does increase the visibility um, that um, that market operator can can troubleshoot solutions that the separate BAs couldn't because they can't see each other's systems. Um, so I think regardless if there's one or two, at least on the short-term short term reliability, I think will be improved. Um, I've, always, uh, I've always felt that way. So I think that is something that is always going to um, be a benefit of markets, even beyond, you know, the value of uh, to, our, to our customers from day ahead in real time. Um, so I think there is a reliability play in there that uh, will always will always be there if we can bring a market um, out here to the West. Um, and then kind of switching gears um, on the resource side, you know, our, the portfolio of resources we're using to meet our capacity requirements is changing so quickly. And uh, I heard um, uh, a panelist today talk about, I think it was Doug Cannon, you know, the more solar you add, the less valuable the next megawatt is. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, our, our big three now are solar, wind and batteries. Um, what we're going to start hydro, I mean, well, okay, that's right. (laughs) From from the dry part of the West. Yeah. Um, but the use of, uh, tools that, that are out here already now that don't depend on what market we're in, like surplus interconnections, we're going to see batteries and PV panels, um, uh, installed on the downstream side of our wind farms. Uh, and be able to optimize all three using the same transmission capacity. So you don't actually have to build, 
new transmission, you may you may uh, you may add three times the nameplate capacity behind that transmission line, uh, and and the market can um, solve and dispatch those three sets of generation, including a storage component right in the battery, uh, all at the same time. And it's back to a prior question about you know the market rules really matter. Um, we're we're dealing with that in the organized markets now, but it's brand new. Um, this concept of, you know, if I've got a hundred megawatt interconnection, right. And I've got 300 megawatt projects behind it. I can only run hundred megawatts at once. And all three projects want to bid into the market, um, uh, or offer into the market. I'm sorry. That, that um, seems like a non-convex, uh, pricing problem actually. That was a call back to a prior episode. <laughs> okay. But, um, I think I'll leave it there. Um, I, I, I always have to make my pitch for, uh, for being flexible and putting stuff behind the fence of your generators uh, so that you can optimize the system better and not have to build uh, new transmission lines for every new generator. So that's it. That was a good pitch, yeah. I, uh, nobody asked for my thoughts, but I'm going to give them anyway. How about this? So um, one, of the, one of the messages I heard today that really resonated with me is to think about and plan for what you want in the long term from your market design. That really resonated with me. And we talked a lot today about having diversity of resource mix, diversity of a large footprint so that your footprint can be larger in the weather. I also think it's important to make sure you have a diversity of load. Um, and one of the key things that I've learned in going through this exercise of interviewing a bunch of really smart people is the importance of price responsive demand in the decarbonization decarboniza to meet decarbonization goals and within uh, deep electrification of our uh, of our economy so um, I, I think that today's conversation had a, a lot of great uh, it was another great step on the way to a market evolution um, and this was a very fun conversation and I hope you all feel valued and appreciated Joe do you feel valued and appreciated I do except I kept Colleen Spencer Stewart. Yeah, I'm glad you got it at the end. Oh, I just. I'm glad you got it at the end. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. I'm so sorry. I go by many names. Yeah. I'm wondering why he wasn't smiling at me when I looked over at him. Uh, <laughs> Spencer, do you feel valued and appreciated now that he's uh, acknowledged your name? I, I'm fully valued and appreciated. Good. Uh, and Pam, do you see, feel seen, heard, and valued and appreciated? I do feel seen, heard, and valued, especially by Spencer and his recognition of my wonderful use of metaphors. Impressive. You, you you belong not just on the Redeem team, but the Dream team. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you all. Public Power Underground is a co-production of News Data and Seattle City Light. You don't have to be subscribed to News Data to get the podcast, but it sure makes the podcast make a lot more sense. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch. Roll on your powers, the subject of public power news. Roll on, enthusiasts, roll on. Public Power Underground is a production of Klatskin IPUD and News Data. The views expressed to her own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD and News Data or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is electric utility and electric utility adjacent news from a power department's perspective. It's written by Paul Dockery, Dan Ketchpole, and Abigail Sawyer, and it's edited and published by the Stellar team at Pioneer Utility Resources, led by associate producer Sarah Wooden. Our theme song, Roll On Enthusiast, was rewritten, performed, and recorded by Aaron Guillory and Ian Bledsoe. That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in.